Well, friends, a few months ago, I started feeling blue, and it became increasingly difficult to get out of bed in the morning. And I tried to turn things around by praying, journaling, reading encouraging scripture passages, singing worship songs, making gratitude lists, meeting up with friends for lunch, exercising, exercising, and even getting some counseling. But despite my best efforts, the sadness would not go away. And in fact, it just got worse. I began to realize something that was really hard for me to accept, that my depression, which had been in remission for years, had come back. 25 years ago, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and generalized anxiety. And I was in counseling for a long time before I accepted that I needed to start taking medication. But my hope was to be on it only for a little while, long enough for me to work through some of my issues and learn some tools to better manage the symptoms. And this is what I did. I started meds, I continued in counseling, I gained some important insights, I learned some tools, I started to feel better, and then, under the care of my doctor, began to wean myself off of the meds. And that was really difficult to do because I experienced what are called discontinuous episodes. When you're coming off the medication, your body has to chemically adjust, and I experienced vertigo and was very irritable and not very fun to be around which made things difficult, but I didn't want to become dependent on the medication. And this is something that, that not only I thought, but almost all people who have to go on medication for some period of time, it's just a common thing that they think, I don't want to become dependent on the medication. And I was okay for a while, but eventually the depression came back and I repeated this full cycle three more times. The last time that I came off my meds, the depression went into remission for several years, including the time leading up to my arrival here and almost six years of ministry with you. And I got really hopeful that maybe it was gone for good. I went through ups and downs just like everyone else, but again, I had tools to cope and was able to turn things around before they got too bad. But that changed a few months ago. In addition to feeling a pervasive sense of sadness and having a lot of trouble getting out of bed in the morning, my thinking became very negative and pessimistic. And you're going to find this all very surprising because if you've ever met me and had a conversation with me, I'm a very extroverted person. And you might think by talking to me that I'm the happiest person and the most positive person that you know. But my thinking became very negative and pessimistic when I was by myself or away from ministry. It was easy to find something wrong in every situation. Even good things, I would focus on what was going wrong. And this led me to be irritable and quick to anger, which caused me to feel very guilty, especially when my wife was on the receiving end of it. Eventually, a combination of sadness mixed with these other things led me to start feeling helpless and eventually hopeless. And it was hard for me even to see the value of my own life. I lost interest in things that I previously took great joy in. The last thing that I lost motivation to do was surf. And if you know me, when I don't want to surf anymore, that is a real big red flag. <laughs> 
And I found it very difficult to focus on the things that I needed to do, including things like writing sermons and going to appointments and making phone calls. I had no energy or motivation to do anything, and I felt no joy as the world slowly turned gray. I felt very distant from God. I had no desire to pray, and I began to wonder if my faith was even real. The fact that these symptoms persisted for months despite my best efforts to turn things around, this increased my anxiety and guilt and hopelessness. So eventually, I made an appointment with my doctor, and she reminded me that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, which means that I can't will it away, I can't pray it away, I can't exercise it away, no more than a diabetic can will away high blood sugar. She also explained to me that once you have an episode of clinical depression in your life, there's a 50% chance that you will have a second. And after a second, there's a 75% chance that you will have a third. And after a third, the percentage increases to 95% that the depression will come back. And I did not want to accept this because I knew what it meant. I knew what the doctor was telling me as I read between the lines. And that is that I would have to go back on medication, but this time for good. I'm happy to say that although I'm not yet 100%, with the help of the medication, the symptoms have become manageable and I'm starting to feel better. And actually today before service when I was praying, for you guys and praying about this sermon, um, I've probably felt more joy and have more perspective this morning than I have in a very long time. Now again, I know that this is probably really shocking to those of you who are in church today and for many of you that are watching online who know me. And there are a couple of reasons why. First, when you are depressed, you don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you want to be alone and you tend to isolate, and this really limits your interaction and conversation with others. And second, during these times when you must interact with others, you learn how to put on a smile and act normal because, again, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want people to worry about you, and you don't want to bring people down. And that's a big part of depression too. If, you, if you're down, you don't wanna be around other people because you don't wanna bring them down. You don't wanna feel the guilt of taking all of the air and the joy out of the room. But the more that you isolate and put a smile on, the more you feel alone and the more your pain increases. So it's like a, like a catch-22. Now I wanna say very clearly, I am not sharing this so that you will feel sorry for me. And I don't want you to worry about me. That's not your job. I've got good family and friends, a good support system, a good counselor, a good doctor. It's not your job to take care of me emotionally, and I'm not sharing this for you to feel sorry for me. Rather, I'm sharing this because there are a rising number of people who are experiencing depression these days, and they need to know that they're not alone. And the numbers have skyrocketed since the onset of the pandemic over the last two years, along with suicide rates. Depression does not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, although women tend to experience depression at a higher rate than men. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. 
if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're religious or secular, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a parishioner or even a doctor or a patient. Even the biblical writers experienced something similar to what we call depression. The psalmist talks about having a crushed, now just take that word in, a crushed spirit a disturbed and downtrodden spirit that leads to crying day and night. There's a psalm that says, I cry, my pillow is wet with my tears day and night. And the apostle Paul says in Romans 9, 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So even people of great faith are not immune from depression. In fact, it affects approximately 17.3 million American adults in any given year, and it can happen to anyone. Those accurately diagnosed with clinical depression usually need help from a medical professional to get better. And I want to say very clearly this morning to all who are listening that there is absolutely no shame in this. Nor does going to the doctor or taking medication mean that you lack faith or that you're a bad Christian. We believe that God is the author of all truth, no matter where we find it. And this includes truth in the medical sciences. God gives us doctors and treatment plans and medications to help with all kinds of illnesses and problems. And this includes depression. I'm also sharing this because I want to educate people about the signs and symptoms of clinical depression. We all get sad from time to time and feel down, and this is normal, especially when we experience things like loss, death, or persistent problems at home or work. And when we experience what we might call normal sadness, it's important to feel it so that we can heal it to pay attention to the sadness, to follow it back to the triggering event, to process it and learn from it, to talk about it with others. It's not easy feeling sad, and even when we experience normal sadness, we often feel a compulsion to distract or somehow console. And there are lots of different ways that we can do that, many of which lead to full-blown addictions if we're not careful. It's not easy to feel sad, but if we will stick with it and we will process it and walk through it, then it can bring us many good gifts and make us stronger and wiser. But my friends, clinical depression is different. It's different. The sadness is pervasive insofar that it puts a black cloud over every aspect of life. And even when we try to process it using proven psychological and spiritual tools, it can persist and even get worse. And I just want to share this morning a few signs of depression so that you may recognize some of these in yourself or in someone that you love. Feeling sad, empty, or anxious feeling helpless, worthless, or guilty. A pervasive sense of hopelessness, which can lead to fantasies of dying or suicidal thoughts. Feeling irritable 
angry and negative, experiencing diminished interest in activities that usually give you great joy, low energy levels, and difficulty concentrating and changing in sleeping patterns, either sleeping too much or not being able to sleep, or changes in appetite, eating too much or not eating enough. And because these symptoms are the result of a chemical imbalance in the brain, it does absolutely no good to say, hey, snap out of it. (laughs) This is stinking thinking. Let's get on with life. And I want to say again that we all experience these symptoms from time to time. Everybody experiences every single one of these from time to time, and it's normal. But people who suffer from clinical depression, the feelings are just pervasive and persistent. No matter what they do, they can't seem to shake the feelings and to get back to an experience of normal. And as you can imagine, all of this can be quite debilitating, causing problems at home, at work, and in other areas of life. But the good news, my friends, if you suffer from depression, and I hope that you already know this, is that depression is treatable. You can't cure it in most people, but it is treatable. And if we get holistic care that includes body, mind, and spirit, it is possible to emerge out of the darkness and rediscover joy. So don't give up hope. I'm also sharing my experience because I want to help all of us love people better who have depression. We've been talking for several weeks about the importance of telling our stories to help others, and I'm trying really hard to be vulnerable and to lead by example today. It's like I'm going first and sharing a hard part of my story. And we've also been talking about the importance of deep, authentic, loving relationships, which includes loving people not only when they're up, but also when they are down. And many of you already know this, but it is not easy living with someone with depression. And it is not easy hanging around with people who are depressed. So how can we hang in there and respond in ways that are truly helpful, that don't cause more hurt? And I'd like to illustrate some bad ways and some good ways by uh, by talking about the five people you meet in depression. Now, if you've Uh, You've probably heard of the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. I want to talk about the five people you meet in depression. And the first is the fair-weather friend. These are people who stay connected with you when things are light and fun, when hanging out with you makes them feel good. But as soon as the sadness begins to peek around the corner, they see you as a downer and start distancing themselves. You stop getting texts and invitations to hang out as they slowly vanish from your life. They might reappear later after you start feeling better and have a more positive outlook in life. But if you are depressed and someone disappears in this way, even when they come back, it can make you feel rejected and abandoned, left at your worst. The second person you meet in depression is the armchair quarterback. You ever met one of these people? They think that they know more than the doctors, 
and they give you all kinds of unsolicited, quick fix advice. They say things like, you got to snap out of it, man. Your life is so good. Just snap out of it. Or you have such a great life. Just choose to be happy. Choose gratitude. Or take this herbal supplement or try this meditation technique. Or here's one, buy this crystal. Other Christians, unfortunately, can be especially annoying as they try to get you to pray it away. While armchair quarterbacks are usually very well-meaning, they just don't understand, or they refuse to accept the medical facts about clinical depression and how it differs from what we might call normal sadness. And unfortunately, their attempts to help often make their depressed friend feel even more misunderstood and more alone. The third person you meet in depression are others who are depressed. <laughs> Birds of a feather flock together. Misery loves company. Like attracts like. Right? And while this can be comforting insofar as having conversations with someone else who is going through it can make you feel more understood and less alone, it can often be like the blind leading the blind. So we have to be careful here. If you are seeing the world through a hopeless, negative, dark lens, and the other person that you're hanging out with is seeing the world through a negative, hopeless, dark lens, then it's easy to jump in the pit together and wallow in our suffering. So people who are depressed do benefit from some interaction with others who are depressed, but they also need support from knowledgeable people who can see the world in a more balanced and accurate way, to remind them of who they are and who God is. So again, while misery loves company, the goal is to navigate the darkness and experience the dawn of a new light. The fourth person that you meet in depression is the acceptor. These people are spiritually and emotionally healthy enough to meet you where you are, to listen for understanding without judgment, to patiently offer comfort and support instead of unsolicited advice, and to actively encourage you to get holistic professional help. These are empathetic, gracious people who communicate you are not alone. I will accept you, and I will walk through the darkness with you, and things will get better. And these people are some of the greatest gifts that God gives to us. They become the people who can truly facilitate healing in our hearts. These folks are not silent. They do remind us of who we are. They remind us of who God is. They remind us about how much support we have and how much goodness there is in our lives. But, somebody say but, <laughs> but they do it in a way that is helpful and not dismissive. You see the difference? The armchair quarterbacks want to give you a quick fix. They're not comfortable with your sadness, and so they want to believe there's a quick fix so that you will feel better, so that your relationship can go back to normal, and it's not so heavy anymore. And so in an effort to give the quick fixes, just snap out of it, fast and pray, whatever the case might be, it feels dismissive. It feels like they're not taking you seriously. And so they do give advice, but here's the difference. First, somebody say first. 
First, they listen. They listen without judgment. Then, with empathy, they mirror your feelings back to you to show that they understand what you're going through. And then they express empathy and compassion. And only after connecting in this way, they ask, may I remind you of some things? Or may I offer you some support and encouragement? And if the depressed person gives permission, then they offer their own experience, strength, and hope in a way that is free from all pressure to do what they want you to do or to have a quick fix, to snap out of it. In other words, the acceptor extends divine hospitality. They make room in their lives for us and they give us space and time to talk it out, to process it. They pray for us and they offer to take us to church so that we can reconnect with other friends and reconnect with God. In the words of Galatians 6, verse 2, they help us carry our burdens so that we don't have to do it alone. And finally, the fifth person that you meet in depression is God. God does not abandon us in our suffering, but abides with us, suffers with us, collects every tear in the palm of his hand, and offers help. God cares. And this is true even when in our depression, we begin to doubt if God even exists. And you might hear me say that and say, how could you possibly say that? You're a pastor. Let me tell you something, folks. It is normal for people who love God and follow Jesus from time to time to be struck by the question, is this stuff real? <laughs> Does God really exist? We have to be honest about that because if we can't be honest with ourselves, we won't even allow that thought to creep in and we will quickly begin to quote scripture and try to distract and console from that feeling. And if we don't actually honestly acknowledge that and struggle with it, it will hinder us in the development of our faith. But even when we go through times and we feel completely alone, completely disconnected from God, have no desire to pray, no desire to read our Bible, no desire to go to church, or wondering if God even exists and if our faith is even real, even then, God doesn't leave us. I love the image, and I can't remember what theologian said this, but talked about God as the hound of heaven. That as we run away, God's like a hound dog that puts his nose to the ground and sniffs us out and goes wherever we are to find us and to grab us by the scruff of the neck and to bring us home. God doesn't abandon us. As we saw in our scripture reading this morning, it says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So even though everybody else in your life wants to get away from you when you're depressed, not God. God is there in unconditional love. In addition, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And one of my favorite passages of scripture, God says to us 
through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my power, somebody say power, my power, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And this means that God abides with us in our weakness and in our pain and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, because God is a way maker. And God does this in holistic ways. Some of the help comes directly from God through things like prayer, contemplation on scripture, meditation, journaling, and personal worship. And some of the help comes through other people, through accepting friends and family members, through pastors, spiritual directors, and mature Christian brothers and sisters, through therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, and doctors, through artists, poets, and musicians. All of this help, both the direct and the indirect, all of it is important, and all of it is a gift from God. So if you are struggling with depression this morning, my prayer is that you will come to not only know, but to feel that God is with you, that you are not alone, and that there is help, which means there is hope. Reach out and talk to your doctor. Talk to your pastor. Talk to people who have been through depression and navigated the darkness and emerged in a new light. Talk to people who can be wise guides. Secure a counselor and show up to your appointments even if you think it's not helping. Commit to weekly worship and show up even when it feels like you're just going through the motions. Let informed and caring people help you put together a holistic plan for healing and try to have grace and patience with yourself in the process. If you are not struggling with depression, it is highly likely that you know someone who is. Do you have eyes to see? Which of those five people were you when you met that person in depression? My prayer is that you will educate yourself on clinical depression from the experts and that you will allow God to work through you in the healing process by being an accepting loving friend. Not a fair-weather friend, not an armchair quarterback, but an accepting, understanding, supportive friend. Wherever you are this morning, in all things, somebody say all things, in all things, try to exercise compassion. We need compassion in our world more than any other Christian virtue. There is so much conflict and vitriolic and hatred and violence and darkness and negativity and critical. We need more than anything compassion. Perhaps the most important person to which you should give compassion is yourself. 
Because if you can have compassion on yourself, then you're much more likely to have compassion for others. It's a general rule in life. I know I've gone off script and I'm going long. I'm gonna wrap it up. We're gonna do communion in a minute. We got another service, but listen, guys. I want you to notice that the most critical, negative, nasty people in the world are the people that dislike themselves the most. They are the people that hate themselves the most. And so you being on the receiving end of that, what you need to understand is that person is the same way to themselves and all of their internal dialogue and all of their interactions in the world. So what you're seeing on the outside is just a reflection of what's on the inside and how they think about themselves. And this is why Christianity, the message of Jesus, is about love and compassion because God knows until we can properly love ourselves, accept ourselves, have compassion for ourselves, we cannot properly do that for others. That's why when Jesus gave the greatest commandment, he didn't just say love God and love others. He said love God and love others as you love yourself. And so have compassion for yourself and have compassion for others. If there are any folks here this morning who are struggling with depression, especially if you are having fantasies about dying or thoughts of suicide, I really hope that you will get help, even if that's just to reach out to me so that I can connect you with someone else. But remember, as long as we draw breath, God is present and there is hope. Thanks be to God. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Mark, and I want to thank you for listening today. I also want to thank First United Methodist Church of Cocoa Beach, the faith community I am honored to serve and that helps make this ministry possible. If you are being blessed by these messages, I invite you to support the mission of Jesus through the efforts of our church by making a donation. Simply go to our website, www.fumccb.com, and click on the link that says Give. I also hope that you will explore other parts of our website and connect to other ministries like online worship and Bible studies. If you feel more comfortable, you can also mail a donation to the church office at 3300 North Atlantic Avenue, Cocoa Beach, Florida, 32931. We sincerely appreciate your support as we try to help people who are struggling and need to hear good news. Again, thanks for tuning in today and may God bless you.